We're continuing in our series in Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Our New Testament complementary passage is Luke's Gospel chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So with your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10, in honor of God's word, please stand. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, hear God's word. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 5, continuing in the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet he does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath, to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him. When he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head completely from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule. 
And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray that you would open our eyes. Slay us in our pride and arrogance, indifference. Speak, your servants here. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. There is in each one of you. No matter your age, no matter your gender, there is in each one of you a shadow, a darkness, a propensity towards that which is dark. This shadow infects and poisons everything that we engage in. Think of cultural movements. And we can look at the most broad, overarching cultural movements. The 1960s. And and the passion for a world that knew peace and not war. For a world that knew love, open, Accepting love. And think of how twisted and ugly and nasty that became. (laughs) Think of the people in the 1980s, the children of our 1960s hippies, who said socialism and free love and the breakdown of the family and all of that, that was something my parents were super into. That was poison. So I'm going the opposite direction. And what did we get? Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. And the entire 1980s culture that came out of that. Think of the young people of today. Largely the children of these parents who thought that by acquiring every possible possession and by making sure that their children were raised with every possible possession. These children are now grown up. And in the struggle with injustice in our society around us, they too are trying to come back and create something that is good, a society in which we care for the least fortunate, in which we care for those who are outcast. And yet, which one of us, including our idealistic young people, 
Which one of us would not acknowledge every time we touch this stuff? We poison it. It turns sick. It turns grotesque. Free love and peace turned into horrible breakdown, drug addiction, all the illness and sickness bodily carried <laughs> of the 1960s. The, the acquisition of material, I think, frankly, that was gross from the, right, from, from the get-go. It was, it was weird all the way from the start, but at least parents were wanting to shower their kids with trips to Disney World every year and family cruises and the best in schools and all that stuff. And yet, didn't it get sick really quick? And doesn't today do the same? One writer says that hidden sin is like a hideous mist. It waters the grass, but you never actually see the rain. And beloved, this passage is full of hidden sin. Did you hear that as we read through the passage? If someone should say and doesn't, and it becomes known to him. If someone touches what is unclean and is unaware, and it becomes known to him. If someone should say these things, takes a rash oath or vow, doesn't even realize that he's doing something wrong, and it becomes known to him. Hidden sin. Now, hidden sin is a big theme throughout the Scriptures. David, if you remember in the Psalms, my secret sins are ever before you. And that word secret is not merely what I don't want anybody else to know. But David is saying that even what I don't know is in front of you. Even the sin that I am unaware of is open before God. And you'll see, you've already seen, if you've simply followed through the reading of this particular passage, that even that hidden sin that you and I are unaware of brings guilt. So how guilty are you? <laughs> how guilty am I? Not just the things I know I shouldn't have done. Not just the things I know I should have done. But that entire arena of my life that either through laziness or simply human inability is hidden to me. My hidden sins bring guilt. And so as we look at this passage briefly this morning, I want to look at two things that come out of this passage. The first is holiness, and the second is humility. Holiness 
and humility. Now, the holiness that is presented to us in this passage is a holiness that if you will, again, look at those verses, particularly the opening verses, it's a holiness that governs what we hear, what we touch, and what we say. Those are the three things. And it's interesting, isn't it? That as we come back to this ancient, ancient text, we're looking at the word picture of those three little monkeys that everybody knows. (laughs) Those three little monkeys that sit on a shelf and one of them hears no evil, the other speaks no evil, and the other sees no evil. And it's interesting that Moses uses the exact same Label it. What we hear, what we touch, and what we say. Because you see, our problem, the problem of that darkness, the problem of that poison mist that infects humanity, here it is. Here it is. Do you see how close you can get to the line without crossing over? Or do you see how close you can get to Christ? Do you see how close you can get to sin without crossing over? Or do you see how perfectly holy it is possible for you to be? How perfectly like Christ it is possible to be? Do you see holiness as taking your medicine? Or do you see holiness as a T-bone steak? Do you see, I mean, how many times do I have to, how many different ways do I have to run out this analogy? How many possible ways can we ask that question? And yet, brothers and sisters, this is the truth. That you and I are drawn to see holiness as something that is good for me, but I just assume not do. I will because I'm supposed to. (laughs) And that mist poisons us. Let me give you just a real quick example. This is something that just 100% personally, as I've been meditating on this, been meditating on this passage, been meditating on on what's going on in Leviticus. Uh, Somebody last week asked a really good question after the service. All these sacrifices are for unintentional sin. Is there no sacrifice for intentional sin? And the answer is no, there's not. There is absolutely no sacrifice for a high-handed sin. Moses makes that clear in Numbers, chapter 16, I believe it is, but also we see the example of it in Joshua chapter 7, when Achan 
commits a very high-handed sin, Joshua tells Achan, bring glory to God and confess. And Achan does. He says, I have sinned. I have done this thing. Here it is. This is what I have done. So what should happen? Joshua should give Achan a big old hug and say, well, Achan, Jesus forgives. Thank you for coming clean. Achan is stoned to death. Achan confesses. Achan repents. And Achan committed high-handed sin. And they kill him. At God's command. Now it's interesting, you fast forward to Psalm 51 and David's great psalm of repentance when he went into Bathsheba. When he tried to get Uriah killed. When Nathan confronted him. David's sin was absolutely high-handed. David absolutely not only knew that going after another man's wife was wrong, but then he tried to get the guy murdered. <laughs> he, he, he was chock full of high-handed sin. And yet clearly there was atonement. There was forgiveness and reconciliation. What happens between Joshua 7 and Psalm 51? What happens between the establishment of the nation of Israel and its second king? What happens there? I honestly don't know. I don't know where the transition is. I don't know where we move from Joshua chapter 7 with no forgiveness for high-handed sin to Psalm 51 with God clearly forgiving and restoring someone who's committed high-handed sin. But I do know that in between those two, it became super obvious that God was going to wipe out every single man, woman, boy, and girl in Israel if we said there is no forgiveness for intentional sin. Israel would be depopulated. And beloved, so would you and me, members of the new Israel, members of the church of Jesus Christ. And the seed, the problem here is being unaware, unaware of this mist. I am someone who tries to be very well informed. I keep up on a lot of stuff, on current events. I keep up on reading. I keep up on a lot of different things. I, I try to make diligent use of the time that the Lord has given me each day. And it struck me as I was pondering this passage, as I was pondering this overarching message of Leviticus, it struck me that my keeping up with current events, what I call being informed, and I wonder how many of you are this way too, how many of you follow the news, go to the websites, I'm very intentional, try to get a broad range of, of informational input so that I'm not being listening to one bias over and over again, yada, yada. But how much of that news and current events that I'm so passionate for and so obsessed with is really just toxic ugliness? 
I'll give you an example. I know exactly what's going on in Ukraine today. I know some secret service uh, intelligence communities are, are saying, here's the strengths and here's the weaknesses and that sort of thing. I know exactly what's going on in Sudan right now. I know who has gone in to rescue their citizens and who has not. I know what's going on between the two warlords that are in combat over, over Khartoum. I know what's going on in a lot of different areas. But you know what I don't have a hot clue about? I don't have a hot clue how many people Tree of Life fed last week. Do you? I don't have a hot clue how many people Mosaic spoke to over the telephone brought comfort and encouragement and healing to young women in a, in a particular crisis. I don't know. That's on me. I should. But I don't. Because my idea of being well-informed, my idea of being on top of everything, really is simply absorbing all the toxic information I possibly can. That's what news is. Nobody ever says, the dog down the street wagged his tail and obeyed his master today. That doesn't make the news. The dog down the street went Cujo on us, and turned into a monster and chewed off the babysitter's face, makes the news. And so all I have to do is simply be natural. And I become absorbed with all of the poison. I become focused on all of it. Contrast that with how often do I intentionally turn my phone off. I'm not going to go to Facebook, Instagram, email, anything. I'm just going to sit quietly with my Bible and my God. How many times this past week would you say you have done that? Just to sit quietly. You know throughout the scriptures... That quietness, meditation, all of these things are spiritual disciplines and graces. And yet, do we not allow ourselves to have mist-filled lives when we've got something so rich, when we've got something so precious that is right in our hands? And I think that goes to show how this darkness, how this mist can so infect our lives that we can truly be unaware of it. When you surrender yourself to that question, how close can I get to the line? How much of the poison can I take in without being poisoned? When you surrender to that question, You've lost. But when the question in your mind, when the question on your heart is how holy is it possible for one little girl 
to be today? How holy is it possible for one young man to be today? How holy is it possible for one mother, one father, one daughter, one son, one neighbor, one spouse? How holy is it possible for me to be today? The ears, the hands, the mouth. And the expression of each of these. In the ears, it's the pursuit of justice. In the hands, it's separation from anything that is ceremonial and clean. With the mouth, it is being a man, a woman of integrity. But I want you to also notice quickly here... At the, at the tail end, beginning in verse 7 and going down to verse 13, these two types of atonement that are offered. The first is for the one who cannot afford a lamb or a goat. You can bring two turtle doves, you can bring two pigeons. And note that Moses makes a point of saying, you shall not remove the head. It's to be broken The blood is to be splattered, but the head must remain intact. Now, whether this is intentional or not, I think it is a beautiful picture. And this is what Moses is doing throughout the Pentateuch. He's painting this intricate, elaborate word picture. Images are supposed to be coming to our minds. And the image here is of a turtle dove. Its head broken, flopping down on its white breast with the blood on those feathers. Do you not see your Savior? Do you not see that picture there of this beautiful, pure, white, spotless bird? Dead. Dead for you the one who would bring the sacrifice. You see also God's amazing mercy in that from the wealthiest Israelite all the way down to the person who literally could only afford a tenth of an ephah of fine flour. You don't even have to be able to find a turtle dove. All can be forgiven. All can know that God is at peace with them. It's interesting, this tenth of an ephah is the amount we've already seen that God provided on a daily basis with the manna in the wilderness. That was the amount. One day's sustenance. So even for the Lazarus, you remember the beggar who reclined in Abraham's bosom, Even for the widow who only has two mites. Even for that, God is concerned that they know peace and forgiveness. Holiness is something that he calls every single one of us to. And then secondly, quickly, I want you to look at this humiliation. 
If you have your Bibles open, flip over to Matthew chapter 26. I'll read verses 57 through 67. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? We have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? The deepest moment of your Jesus' humiliation. The moment at which he was spit upon, he was mocked for his very claim of divinity, the moment of Jesus Christ's deepest humiliation, he was obeying Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he is seen to come, seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Jesus Christ, even here, Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1, was obedient, fulfilled the law. Fulfilled it down to literally its jot and its tittle. The tiniest observations. When you think of all the things that you were required to do to be holy, did Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1 pop up on your to-do list? It didn't on mine. I don't think I've ever had someone adjure me to publicly testify to a truth that would save an innocent person. And yet here, Jesus Christ, even at his greatest humiliation, obeys the law. In his answer, he points upward. He points to the throne of God. He says, you will see me seated at the right hand of power. He points us upward to God. 
and he declares himself to be the judge of all the earth. Moses says, when he has seen or come to know the matter, he does not speak. Jesus spoke. (laughs) Jesus spoke. He obeyed Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 1, and he said, I am. God, I am the Son of Man. Even here, in this most minute detail of the law, we see a perfect righteousness. So brothers and sisters, the call from Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, this call, is to recognize that even the things in your life that you don't know about should be given to Christ. Delivered to Him. Handed to Him. He knows them anyway. He knows. And if you and I will have that as our prayer on a daily basis, Lord, let me be as holy as it's possible for one human being to be. Take my ears, take my mouth, take my hands. Use them as you will. I mentioned in Sunday school that one of the things I do each morning is start the day with a very, very basic and simple prayer. Now that prayer can be expanded, it can be flowered on, but that very basic, simple prayer is, Lord, grant that today I might walk in harmony with you and in harmony with my wife. Because if I'm walking in harmony with God, and if I'm walking in harmony with my wife, then everything else is going to be harmonious. And if I am not right with God, and if there is suspicion and bitterness and anger and all the stupid nonsense that always comes in between two sinful people to get married, (laughs) then I'm not walking at peace with God through the day. And beloved, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're four years old, whether you're 80 years old, you and I can still know that God has covered over even your hidden sins and that He has called you and me to give our ears, eyes, mouth, everything that we are all completely to Him. It's a process. It's a process of discouragement. It's a process when we feel so far that we're not even sure we're saved anymore. But it's a process that's guaranteed by the one who purchased you. By the one who said, of all the Father that gives to me, I will never lose one. Of the one who said, I've begun a good work in you, and I will see it through. It's based on that perfect Lamb of God, that perfect 
one who atones for not just your open sin, not just your open rebellion, but even the things you don't recognize. Even those hidden things are washed clean in his blood. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these beautiful pictures of your holiness, of your call in our lives. Grant that we may take just one more step forward. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.